This is Changeling the Podcast. Changeling the podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with this is your other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. May the favor of Cain be upon you. What are we talking about tonight, Puka? Well, for those who don't know about Cain, we will be evangelizing. No, we're not going to really do that. Um, we'll be talking about Vampire, the Masquerade, the one core splat of the world of darkness that we haven't yet discussed in terms of its crossover potential with Changeling. And joining us is special guest chig hi chig hi everybody i'm chig it's a pleasure to be here so yeah where people have might heard you before chig if they recognize your voice oh you know i get around um i'm on darker days radio i'm one of the co-hosts there if you are a listener of mage the podcast i am the mythos correspondent over there Uh, i've been on a couple of episodes there but uh, mostly, I'm just online. So, huzzah, huzzah! So, chick, what's a vampire? What is a vampire? That's a fantastic question. Um, a vampire in the world of darkness. Uh, we're assuming that we're just talking about the Western vampires here, because the Eastern ones are a whole different kettle of fish. <laughs> uh, a vampire is a blood-drinking member of the undead who are the secret masters of all cities who rule the night and are possibly descended from Cain, the guy from the Bible. Okay. That's the most popular theory. The first Mm -hmm. murderer, or so they say. Indeed. So uh, the vampires, um, because it is a World of Darkness, it is the first World of Darkness game, and it set the standard for everything that came after. They like to group themselves up into various sects and groups called Bloodlines. They're the equivalent of the Changeling Kith, or clans, I guess. Clans are the bigger ones, Bloodlines are the smaller little offshoots. There are 13 core clans, and there's just, at last count, there were close to or past 200 different bloodlines <laughs> more than changeling kiss when i did the count yes there were well this this was before c20 there were more <laughs> vampire bloodlines and there were changeling kits but given that vampire had the much longer history and much greater density of so blood. many more books <laughs> oh my god so many more books <laughs> they just kept making bloodlines they're real easy to make yeah, and some of them have, like, what, like, four vampires or something in their bloodline? Yeah. It's, you know, two guys in, in Cincinnati. They're a bloodline. Congratulations. Yeah. This actually, as a question for both of you, and I'll answer it as well, but what is your experience with Vampire the Masquerade, out of curiosity? Vampire the Masquerade is the first World of Darkness game line that I picked up. I read through it, and I immediately put it back down and said... <laughs> Why would anybody want to play a vampire? That's dumb. They're the bad guys. I was about 12 at the time, so forgive me. I later came back to it when I was a little bit older, and I've enjoyed playing vampire off and on over the years ever since. I've run many games. It is the only LARP I have ever done twice. It kind of fell apart after a while, but that's the way of LARPs, apparently. I have 
a bit of history playing vampire. Okay. For me, vampire was the first World of Darkness book I read. And I mostly was like, oh, look, fairies go to, it's like, it must have, I don't know what edition it was, it was first or second, but it was, they talked about like high level aspect, you could go to the moon and visit the fairies. And I thought that was kind of cool. And after I got into changing LARPs and stuff, um, I did some vampire LARPing, I occasionally played like one shots in tabletop games and mostly just used them as antagonists sometimes in my changeling or mage games. So, <laughs> but uh, they do like, make great antagonists. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm very. I don't know, like not, I don't dislike the game, but I'm not like a huge fan of it either. So it's kind of, but it's just one of those, if you're in the world of darkness stuff long enough, you pick up a lot about it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it accretes around every other world of darkness game. Yeah, it's the D&D of world of darkness. <laughs> it is in my top five world of darkness games. Yeah. Well, it's not the lowest, so that's good. Yeah, it's not Hunter. <laughs> yeah, for me, I similarly picked it up at age 12 and was kind of like, huh, okay. But my one sibling and I got like really into it and gamed it a lot. There was a brief period in high school when we were like making websites and stuff. But then I always kind of saw it as like the gateway game to finding other better World of Darkness games, not just for myself, but for other people. Because I feel like if you try to start someone off with Mage, that's just not going to go well. Um mm. But Vampire, at least, like you said, you understand intuitively, like, oh, I'm the monster, and then you're off to the races. Mm -hmm. So, Changeling, I think you can be a gateway game, too, for World of Darkness, but yeah. I, th I think Vampire, and to a lesser degree, Werewolf, are the two big, easy mm -hmm. gets. Yeah. Mechanically, Werewolf, Werewolf just has the one get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, va Vampire, I'd say, is the simplest mechanically to wrap your head around of all the World mm -hmm. of Darkness games. Sure. So... Absolutely, and it it has it only has one world to deal with, so that's something mm -hmm. that it has. And then the other World of Darkness games have. Well, for any listeners who are not familiar with Vampire the Masquerade, it might behoove us to kind of just define a couple key terms and and some of the particulars of vampires in Vampire the Masquerade. So the disciplines that we're alluding to are the powers, much like the arts and realms, although they mm -hmm. don't have to get realms, so lucky them however um each discipline is only has you know one use per level so true you can use wayfair to jump from here to there yourself or you can have your buddy jump from here to there but if you have potence you can only make yourself stronger mm -hmm. until you get to elder level disciplines and that's a whole separate oh v vampire does have the power stat that you don't need like to read the uh, write-up on to understand what it is it's <laughs> blood that's true. You have blood, and it is literally blood. It is. So. It is the amount of blood that you have drunk from another, from a living being. Yeah, or undead potentially. Mm, maybe. Well, term-wise, once it's inside the vampire body, it becomes vitae. But yeah, it's blood. I, I remember some character sheets saying the official character sheet saying blood points, but anyway, <sighs> that's an out-of-game term. Yeah, that's like quintessence points. Exactly. Yeah, but quintessence, if I say to somebody on the street, what's a quintessence? They'll, or a glamour. <laughs> would not yeah. assume what it is. Well, and on the subject of blood, vampires can also use their blood to make themselves stronger, faster, etc., to heal their wounds, to appear human for a time. In terms of the traditional lore, sunlight burns them, but crosses don't repel them. They occasionally have to go into a deep sleep called torpor. So, you know, they, they've mm -hmm. got lives. Or unlives. 
Oh, they also need the blood hey. to wake up in the morning right? or in the evening. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, you don't you don't wake up in the morning if you're a vampire. <laughs> you're going to have a bad time. That's yeah. the reverse vampire book we need. They also have, uniquely among the old World of Darkness games at least, they have humanity as a core stat. This was replaced by other potential morality tracks in later editions, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can you can quantize the humanity of a vampire. Yeah, that's basics. It's a uh, it's yeah. a nice little downward spiral. The uh, yeah, the the more you exist as a vampire, the harder it is to hold on to your humanity, and uh, it's quantifiable. It's right there. Mm-hmm. Absolute objective morality system of saying some things are worse than other things, and <laughs> makes me go what? But. And occasionally vampires go into frenzy and just lose control completely and yep. attack whatever is in their path. But they feel bad about it later, and that's what's important. What's The Masquerade? The title Vampire The Masquerade. Uh, the Masquerade is the reason that you don't know until listening to this podcast that vampires walk among you. Mm-hmm. The vampires, in an effort not to be hunted to extinction, decided a couple hundred years ago now that uh hey there's a lot of people out there and there's more and more people every day and there's only so many of us so if people found out that we existed they would hunt us down because hey we sometimes kill them for food and they don't like that Mm -hmm. so they decided to enact the masquerade where they do everything in their power to appear as a normal human being they in theory have jobs they they look like they have jobs anyway They don't use their freaky magical vampire powers to turn into a bat and fly around in front of you. They don't leave exsanguinated corpses lying around. They have people for that to come clean up after them if that happens accidentally. Oopsie doodle. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, the masquerade is the self-imposed on at least one of the three main sects, sometimes two of the three main sects, depending on how the independents are doing in your area, the anarchs. Mm-hmm. That keeps them. That keeps vampires hidden from humanity. So, what are these sects you're talking about? Vampires, even though they're dead, love sects. So there are, as previously mentioned, there are three primary sects. There's the Camarilla, or Camarilla, or depending on how you pronounce it. That is the group that decided that the masquerade would be a great idea. They are primarily concerned with temporal power, power here in the real world. They're not interested as a as a whole. These are these are stereotypes. They're not interested in any magical power, nothing outside the realm of just, you know, we are people. This is how we live, even though we are, you know, undead. They keep other vampires in line. They rule a majority of cities. They have a council of elders they're ruled every city that they control is ruled by a prince at the top and it's just a pyramidal structure down from there the second of the two biggest sects is the sabbat they are kind of the opposite of the camarilla and they were originally introduced as these are the bad guy vampires because they aren't human they're not even trying that reminds me you should probably say we are talking about Vampire the Masquerade 20th edition and earlier. There's a 5th edition, mm-hmm. but Changeling doesn't have a 5th edition. And the 5th edition changed the setting. We're just yeah. going to... The 5th edition upends most of the things we'll probably be talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll just set that aside. For anyone who knows about it, we're not talking about that right now. 
It is a similar but legally distinctly different game. Yeah. I promise once we release Changeling 5th Edition, we'll talk about it. You guys have fun with that. <laughs> uh, so the, the Sabbat, as I was saying, uh, are kind of the opposite of the Camarilla. The Camarilla imposed the masquerade and they kind of enforce it on their, their members. The Sabbat does not care. They are monsters. They eat people. They are predators. They do not care who knows about it. They have territory that they rule. They have cities that they're in charge of. Those cities tend to have much higher crime rates, uh, much higher disappearances of tourists and people who are just visiting the city and residents because the vampires there will eat you and they do not care. So if they don't care, does that mean all the people there know about vampires? You would think that's what that would mean, right? Because they don't really have so much of a masquerade. But no, somehow that's not what that means. <laughs> no, the the Sabbat, when I say that they don't really care they don't get involved with people. They don't see themselves as human beings anymore. So they avoid people not because they're hiding from them, but because they are other from them, if that makes sense. And uh, they are the more spiritual of the two main sects. The Camarilla are primarily, like I said, motivated by greed and power here in the real world. Whereas the Sabbat are the more mystic woo-woo vampires who are trying to, you know, raise themselves above humanity to be, you know, a more perfect predator. I think of it as like the Camarilla is like when you especially ask socialists about like or left about capitalism, they'll talk about it's similar to the Camarilla, how to describe it. And then the Sabbat is a weird amalgamation of all sorts of groups that don't make any sense together, at least in terms of like as a metaphor for human society. They're a big tent. Yeah. <laughs> And then, of course, you have the, the Anarchs, the Independents, uh, the group that is not really a group. It's just, yep. we don't want to belong to one of these other groups, so this is what we are. We are we're an Independent. We're not monsters like the Sabbat wants us to be, but also we're not going to necessarily hide ourselves away like the Camarilla wants to. So and uh, All the humans know about them? You would think, but no, again, the, the Camarilla does a really good job. Uh, one of the things that the Camarilla is said to control is media, yeah. and they do a really good job of covering up, you know, 30 corpses found with no blood buried, you know, in a shallow mm -hmm. grave outside of town, even in yeah. the even if the town is not one that the Camarilla is in charge of. In my head, canon, conspiracy theories about vampires in the world of darkness is like Bigfoot or alien abductions or something in the real world, like... You probably know. Or vampires in the real world. Yeah, but I, I've come across less people who think that there's real vampires, like supernatural vampires going around drinking blood, than think there's like alien abductions. So, Well, it's different for me, but I used to go goth clubbing, so. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's where I meet people who think they're vampires. It's a little bit different. Yeah, that's a whole different, different thing. <laughs> and most of them played Vampire the Masquerade, so. No. Uh, I think it's also important to point out for the Camarilla and the Sabbat, at least, another sort of philosophical difference is their attitude towards their history like vampire history mm -hmm. so within the the mythology of the game Cain being the first vampire he got lonely he went out and embraced three more who became known as the second generation they embraced a bunch of others who became the third generation etc etc and then there was a city built somewhere in the middle east supposedly and then the flood from genesis wiped it out and a second city was built. And in these first and second cities was where vampires sort of ruled over mortals openly. But the third generation, because they predate the flood, are called antediluvians. 
I think vampires were actually learned that word. Yeah. That's where I learned that word. <laughs> but so the Camarilla sort of line is, oh, the Antediluvians are, are just a myth. And the Sabbat are like, no, they're real and we don't like yeah. them. Although keeping in mind, there are mechanically third generation vampires from after the flood, if there was a flood. But Well, and, and part of the reason for that is because vampires can eat their elders to become more powerful. Mm-hmm. But only ever eat someone one level up from you, because otherwise you don't get. The yeah, only eat your dad. Yeah. If you yeah. eat your grandpa, you're going to have a bad time. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. So th- that actually ties into this whole generation thing, which I know some people get confused because mechanically on your sheet you have this generation background, and you might go from zero to five or potentially higher, at least for an NPC. Yeah. But it counts from like Kane is first generation and then second generation and third generations, the antediluvians and fourth generations and the default. So zero generation background is 13th generation. Yeah. In in a modern game. In a modern game. Yeah. I never found it particularly difficult to understand. And I was kind of perplexed when people did like, when you think about first place, second place, third place, fourth, like that's pretty easy to. Yeah. (laughs) The people who find it hard are also people who find other math concepts hard so fair all right but yes the uh, the closer you are the closer you are to Kane, the more power you have mm-hmm. yeah and it's a big deal for vampires yeah because it every time you make a vampire they're one higher generation than you so if you were eighth generation you... yes the blood the blood becomes thinner and thinner and you are mm-hmm. less able to use blood efficiently basically you cannot be as powerful as the generation before you which means game mechanically is very advantageous to put into the background. <laughs> and it also lends itself to games that are structured around finding and hunting down and eating your, well, maybe not your grandpa, but mm-hmm. your other elders. Although that also, it's called Diablery, and it's considered mm-hmm. illegal in a Camarilla game, at least. Very, very bad, because the elders are the ones setting the rules and they don't want to get well, eaten. So one of the things we haven't really discussed uh, in is vampire society is they have a lot of rules and a lot of strictures to keep themselves in line. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I mentioned previously is that every Camarilla city is ruled by a prince. The prince has a Mm -hmm. group of elders that advise him, but basically his word is law in that city. And the prince can grant you special dispensation and not Mm -hmm. just you, but he can say, Hey, I want Jim, the vampire over there. I want, I want him dead. Anybody can kill him, and if you kill him, you can eat him. But he can also say you can kill him, but you can't eat him. He can also say I want him dead, but do not dare eat Jim the Vampire. Yes. Because he's the prince, so he can say whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. It's good to be the prince. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I never quite got my head around it, because there is still this higher level in the camera, and I never quite understood how that works. So, despite reading books and people telling me i still don't understand what a justicar is versus a prince and all that stuff well the justicars are by clan rather than by city yeah that's that's the council of advisors basically and in an ideal world every clan in the city would have one person on on this little council of just that's a primogen right primogen is at the city level yeah right the advisors to the prince but the justicars are the entire camarillo one representative per clan yeah. advisory board slash. I mean, there's the judges. Yeah, but so. I'm just uh, what what the higher level thing is versus the princes is where I always get confused, like how that works, because it's like a prince's rule is law, but 
there's a higher law, but not. Well, it's, well someone's got to keep the whole thing running. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's the uh, and I mean, come on, guys, it's the world of darkness. It doesn't have to make sense. <laughs> come on. There's come always on. another layer of secrets and how many Sheenites are there, and how many how many of them are? I, get, I guess on. it's kind of like <laughs> the head of a she house versus like the nobility and monarch. Like there you go, High King David versus the head of House Gwydion. What is that relationship? We don't know. Fraught. Yeah, we do know. We just reviewed that book. <laughs> yeah well it said There's it was been... fraught right <laughs> yeah oh well there you go but how it actually plays out is kind of yeah also i'm still unclear on but maybe it's about as unclear both but that is one of the sort of thematic things that i think vampire has become known for and is to some degree founded on that survival of the fittest kind of idea which frankly i've seen play out with a lot of players in addition yeah. to the characters but I also wanted to point to, as you said, Chig, because it was the first World of Darkness game, it kind of set the tone for the others. And the World of Darkness games have always billed themselves as these gothic punk experiences. And Vampire is, I mean, I think back to when I first picked up the Vampire Second Edition core book as a wee child. And that was the most spelling out of gothic punk that I think they have done in any of the books. I think First Ed is even more spelling it out, but yeah. Yeah, I, that's true, yeah. First edition, it carries through and a yeah. lot of the art and everything as well. But Well, sure. I th- I'm pretty sure that Mark Reinhagen invented goth punk as an aesthetic. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of crumbling churches and rust belt infrastructure and people yeah. sleeping on street corners and yeah and that, that gets into a tension between writers of the game or developers where like the original idea was more you're at the bottom and yeah. you could it's sort of a punk like you're kind of never gonna rise up and it's about banding together and trying to get through this sun life but then a lot of it's more about these high level politics and stuff so it's kind of well, one thing that you have to think of in vampire society is that if you think of it as this is your job, okay? Your job is you are Puka the vampire, right? It's me. You, you've just been embraced. Congratulations. Welcome to the, to the afterlife. Oh, I hope I'm a Toreador. You, you, are, you are Puka the Toreador, beautiful awesome. in every way. The person who embraced you is called your sire. And they are, you know, they're, they're your mentor. They brought you into this world. They're teaching you the ropes. You'll have a, a job under them, basically, here in the Camarilla. And they are under somebody else, and they are under somebody else, and they're under somebody else. Now, in a regular job here in the real world, where Puka presumably has a job, and I have a job, and Josh, you have a job, you can move up in the world. Eventually, your boss will retire, and you can apply for the boss's job. Great. Awesome. Nobody retires from the Camarilla. When you're a vampire, you're a vampire forever. Mm-hmm. There's there until until someone dies or decides, hey, wait a minute, this whole masquerade thing—that's silly. And in fact, the antediluvians—they are real, and they decide to jump ship and join the Sabbat, which happens practically never. They're not really big on recruiting. Mm-hmm. Until then, you are stuck in a static position in this organization forever. Yeah, that was the the initial idea is that you are the lowest of the low and you have no real happy outlook of ever moving up from that position mm-hmm. and people say vampires aren't banal I, w- I worked at a company that was structured that way it was not fun yeah now imagine that for the rest of time was it run by vampires 
<laughs> I'm not sure. Well, it's like I don't actually know who run the ran the company. It was like this secret group above the president that we never really learned about. It was it was very weird. I think it's very telling though that the game came out in 1991, where you had sort of like the exhaustion from the excesses of the power hungry 80s feeding into like the bleak gritty 90s kind of aesthetic. Yeah, that was a big recession right around then too, wasn't there? There was a lot going on that period i mean we could probably go on talking for a long time about vampire the game but i did mention the toreador who are one of the major clans of the camarilla and this might be a good segue into talking about some of the others it might yeah and and the whole banality thing maybe how it applies to a changeling game is probably the because you said there was like how many clans in 200 bloodlines i don't think Mm -hmm. Elaborate all, all right, so we're gonna start out. We're gonna start alphabetically. Okay, so there's the ah uh, ah uh, uh bloodline. <laughs> we will not be doing that. Well, I have on on my list. I have the ones who have the most uh, connective tissue, I suppose, with changelings. That but, makes sense. We don't need to cover every clan and every bloodline. Yeah. So first, just daughters of cacophony, right? That's the most important for a changeling. I'd like to think so. Maybe we should start with the Ravnos, though. I think they're the ones that changelings have the most reason to be afraid of. <laughs> so, Clan Ravnos, and uh, please keep in mind that uh, Vampire the Masquerade is from the early 90s. Clan Ravnos was originally the... There's really not a good way to say it, but they were the the ethnic stereotype um romani clan to begin with yeah they were the the thieves and the tricksters and the ones who would come in the night and steal your women and blah 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 and, was... and very explicitly as such not even yeah they they, they 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 did nothing to hide this they they it was right there black and white they did not use the term romani so mm-hmm. yeah they they've made it better in more recent editions but originally it was it was not great but uh, yes, they are—they are the tricksters. They are the the ones who make you question your reality, that kind of thing. And uh, they have a a discipline called chemistry or chemistry, or I've heard it pronounced a dozen different ways. They don't ever provide a real pronunciation guide. And chemistry is the ability to create illusions. But turns out that what they're actually creating are chimera. That's, that's the term, chimerstry. Chimerical chemistry. Yeah, exactly. So they can they can put a, an illusion of a wall or an illusion of a uh, a floor in a building that has that the floor is rotted out, and you know, Bryce the vampire goes walking across there, falls down into the basement, and bonks its little head. No. Oh. But if uh, Puka the Puka walks across there, he bugs Bunny's his way right across the whole the whole floor, because to him it's it's real. It's Chimeric floor. That's got to be a great scene. Like the Ravnos is thinking, I've created an illusionary floor and my prey will fall directly into the trap I've prepared. And then like the changeling just walks right across. And then, and then they make a chimerical flying carpet and then things get really confusing. Well, then they make a, a chimeric gun and just shoot you dead. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Correct. No, but you fly on the, 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 the... Anyway. Yeah. So the Ravnos are not great news for changelings when they can make chimera at will. And it is actually at will because they have to spend willpower to do it. But no. yeah, ge- generally, none of these vampires are going to be your friends, probably in a changeling yeah. game. A a friend is a vampire you just haven't met yet. <laughs> yeah, 
but one who could potentially be a friend because we have hard evidence that it's easier to muse them are the Malkavians. Yeah, so again, remember um, early 90s, not, no sensitivity readers on uh, the first edition of Vampire the Masquerade. And again, it has improved since then. Clan Malkavian began as the crazy clan, the clan with mental illnesses. It's baked right into every Malkavian. You, if you remember this clan, you have to have a mental illness of some sort. They didn't use that word, though. Originally. I'm sorry? <laughs> they didn't use that term originally. Either. No, no, they, they do not use that word again. It has improved a bit. Uh, it could be anything from just, you know, you have obsessive compulsive disorder. You know, that's the vampire that has to count all the grains of rice when you throw it on the ground. Or in less good Malkavian portrayals, it could just be, hey, you're wacky. And there's a whole term for that. And, but we won't get into that. Yeah. Everything. They're like puka, but the bad stereotypes about puka. Yes. And with bedlam mixed in. Wow. But again, not all Malkavians are like that, and it has gotten much better over the years. But to begin with, yes, they were they were the cuckoo wacky ones. And why are they cuckoo and wacky? Because they see a deeper truth. They can see reality as it truly is, broken and fractured. They can have visions of the truth. They can they can know things without having been taught them because they ha- they're tapped into reality. It seems like over the years, they've tried to find a number of different ways to integrate them with changeling or fairy stuff. Because, I mean, folklorically, when you talk about madness of different kinds, like the Fae often enter into it. But there are so many different options and can sometimes seem like, you know, because in one book, it's like, oh, okay, they get addicted to fairy blood if they drink it. In another book, it's, oh, it has no effect on them because they're already kind of kooky. Or, oh, maybe they're basically enchanted and they can just see the Fae. Or, oh, they can visit Arcadia. (laughs) And then they give... The books talk about, like, what the banality rating is of these various clans. And sometimes suggesting, no, this clan... Everyone in this clan is this banality rating, which the clans are not that set. But... Uh, If if you're you're just having a a one-shot, you know, and you meet a La Sombra, it's good to have a baseline. Mm Mm-hmm. But it kind of gets confusing when you look at, especially like C20's portrayal of mental illness and banality, and then you look at like, oh, but all the Malkavians have a low banality. You're like, wait a sec. The game comes free. You have to add the nuance later. Or actually not free. Yeah, they have they have a mental illness, and uh, they may or may not always be able to tell a, a changeling just by looking at them, mm-hmm. depending on the edition. Although with Auspects, which is one of the disciplines that the Malkavians have easy access to, you can figure it if somebody's a changeling fairly easily too. Correct. But and Auspex, of course, is one of the disciplines that so many of these groups have. Mm-hmm. It's it's I don't know if it's the most common superpower for vampires, but it is it is up there. Yeah. Well, unless you count blood magic, because everyone and their brother has blood magic now. Well, every, everyone's got potence or fortitude or celerity. That's well celerity great. no. Celerity's rare. As it should be, frankly. Anyway. Well, but yeah, there's another clan that has a lot of... To me, when I think Changeling crossover, I'd, I'd actually think this clan first is Toreador. Yes. The Anricians. Which are... Toreador. And remember, this is from the 90s, so... Yeah, they're all bullfighters. The, not, not the best. <laughs> Those are the artists of the vampire world. They're broken usually into 
two different, you know, subgroups within within their clan. There are the artists and there are the art appreciators, the Epicureans. But yes, as as artists and patrons of the art, it makes sense that these are the the kindred that changing would most likely run into on a night to night basis. Mm-hmm. Sometimes antagonistically. Well, sometimes antagonistically, but sometimes just because, you know, you're both going to uh, a museum show. A goth club. Or a goth club or, you know, whatever. They're having an art show over here. You both go to visit your people that you are a patron of. And hey, look, that lady you saw, you know, 20 years ago when you were but a wee young puka. And she, she appears to be unchanged. Isn't that weird? That strangely pale, unchanging woman. Yeah, so she's obviously a she. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, they they can have antagonistic or just, hey, I know a guy relationships with uh, plenty of the Fae. That, that's also one where you could do crossover without it being apparent, from either game, without it being apparent that crossover's happening. Yeah, but what's the fun in having secret crossover? Who you who are you keeping the secret from here? <laughs> no, 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 no. Like uh, the secret. Uh, three sessions in, you figure out something's up. That's that's the that's what I mean. Not as opposed to like right away, you know something's up, but they're still antagonistic or something. Gotcha. So yeah, uh, Toriadors are a, a nice, fun source of crossover material. They are my favorite clan. I will admit, mm-hmm. out of the main, my least favorite is the Tremere. The blood wizards and i'm a little bit unfair to them i think because i think it's primarily just because i've seen them played badly so many times there has been a trend in i guess vampire circles uh, some people used to call it vampions where it was less about getting into the gothic punk aesthetic and exploring the the personal horror because that was what vampire sold itself on being a game of personal horror less about that and more about how many dots of all the disciplines can I get to go around mm. and mess things up? Mm. So when you introduce a clan who also happen to be wizards, it tends to draw, you know, the kinds of people that want to have all the power like that. They're also the one though, where the clan flaw is your clan's kind of telling you what to do more than the other clans get happening to them. And whether or not the storyteller leans on that is a different question. Right. Basically, every Tremere player I've ever seen has like made it a cornerstone of their character to be like, yeah, I don't care what the elders say. Well, I'm, I've mostly done vampire LARPs where it's like, oh, okay, well, uh, they end up an NPC in about, stop being a PC in about three sessions when they do that. <laughs> well, it's nice when their feet are held to the figurative fire. Mm-hmm. In any case. Sometimes buy another PC Tremere, but yeah. Yeah, because that other PC Tremere wants to work his way up the up the corporate ladder over there at Clan Tremere. <laughs> Yeah, they're the ones that, that are crossover with the Order of Hermes from them when we did our mage episode with Terry. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So uh, Clan Tremere, as, as mentioned previously, are the super sorcerer magic vampires. If you run into a Tremere, they're almost assuredly going to be antagonists. They're to collect your fey blood for their dark rituals to do whatever they're going to do with that magical blood you have they're they're not there to make friends they're not there to gain influence over you or anything like that they're either going to eat you or experiment upon you horribly until you are almost assuredly dead they might use you to find more of your friends so they can get more blood from all them too oh sure you could you you could have a, a 
long and fulfilling career as a Judas goat, if you so desire. (laughs) But yeah, the Tremere, as far as Changeling are concerned, and they're one of my favorite clans, uh, the Tremere are uh, are not going to be your friend. And they're one of the few clans that not only believe that fairies exist, but generally are more likely to know how they work. And if they don't, they'll pull you apart until they figure it out. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and... Speaking of pulling people apart, we can talk about my second least favorite clan, <laughs> which is the Samisi. And again, I think it's primarily because of the way I've seen them played more often mm-hmm. than not. Samisi are like, well, the Tremere are too normal and human-like. Right. <laughs> I want to be weird, arcane rituals, but like also re- reshape people's bodies. Right. So the uh, Zamishi or Zimishe or Zimish or what have you, um, they are a... The Sims. Yeah, them, them guys. The, the ones that start with TZ. Uh, they are Brian Lumley Necroscope vampires. And uh, people told me that before I read any of the Brian Lumley books. But then I read the first one. I'm like, oh, yes, this is a direct ripoff of these books. So in addition to being blood-sucking monsters uh, who are one of the two main clans of the Sabbat, which is the group that is made up entirely of monsters, their super special personal discipline is called vicissitude, and they can use it to reshape flesh, bones, living, undead, whatever. They are also almost assuredly not going to be your friend if you run into them. Mm -hmm. However... However, in extreme circumstances, depending on what exactly your musing threshold is, depending on how extreme the body modification your (laughs) red cap is into, Zamishi could be a social contact. (laughs) I think the changelings they're most likely to have, not friendship with, but like some kind of not entirely antagonistic interaction would probably be Thalane. Or yeah, shadow court kind of things. So, yeah, they're a great source of dark glamour. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day, there was all the all the bad guys in the world of darkness worked together. So there was a lot of the shadow court is in league with the Sabbat. Right. <laughs> the other thing with the Simisi too, though, I, I feel when they're played well, is that philosophically, some of them have this drive towards like transformation and metamorphosis and exploring truly bizarre dreams and some truly messed up ones. But I could see that playing into a very particular kind of changeling narrative as well, which is maybe less burn things down, mess things up than Shadow Court games tend yeah. to turn into. They'd probably be annoyed at a changeling for going through the changeling way versus yeah. what they were before. This is also li- literally the clan of Dracula in the game. So they have that yeah. kind of, you know, overlord in the mountains in a castle doing unholy things by night which is also lifted directly from necroscope (laughs) just just fyi they also are the one one of the clans not as much as tremere but one of the clans that still has some sort of blood magic some of them oh they all have blood magic now (laughs) i mean depending on your definition of magic if i can lift a car by Mm -hmm. by using blood that's magic (laughs) but yes they might also want your blood for weird things too just yes. oh yeah 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 they're gonna they're gonna take you and experiment upon you and use your your blood as a way to make more monsters that they can send against the uh the camarilla mm-hmm. that being said they are very respectful to the ones they actually invite as guests in good faith mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah they're great guys 
if you can get them to be nice to you once. <laughs> if they think of you as a person, you're great. They just don't think of many right. as people. It's so. a high bar. Well, they don't think of themselves as people. So yeah. Well, human. I meant people. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. They're like worse than she. So then the other driving clan of the Sabbat is the La Sombra, who I don't know that there's actually much to say about them in particular as or at least not as much as one of the bloodlines that spun off from them, which is the Chiasid. And that's probably the most intentionally direct connection between the two games. So the Lasombra are the rulers of the Sabbat. They are the uh, think House Ileal. <laughs> yeah, think House Ileal. They are the the manipulators, the the darkly seductive vampire. They are the ones who they don't count him as a member. But if you think of you know Count Dracula, you know he's out there seducing the ladies of uh, London. This is this is who you're thinking of, and they get weird shadow powder powers. They do have really neato mosquito shadow powers. <laughs> I agree, but uh, they're on the list because if you're going to have a a, a, a political game, a, a game of politics in your your changeling kingdom, barony, whatever, uh, and you want to have some antagonists or allies that people that you're plotting against might not see coming or might not think of la sombra are, are a good bet they are as previously mentioned they, they they believe themselves to be royalty they hold themselves to a high standard they think of themselves as, as plotters and manipulators um kind of a power behind the throne sort of group so if you are she and you want to have some allies in your area who are also equally regal and in charge of things Lasombra might be a good group to reach out to. Might be. Yeah. Big might. Big M, little light. On the same token, uh, definitely Ventru, not on the Sealy side. No. Ventru are more likely to deal with the Sealy. But, uh, yeah, but even then, they're, they're, they're rulers in the, the captain of industry kind of. Yeah. They're the ones where it's like, oh, okay, I see what you mean by high banality vampires. That makes sense. <laughs> yes, also that. <laughs> they're like a lot less nuanced than, than the Gwydian. House Gwydian, I think. They, they are the status quo. Mm-hmm. But then the Lysombra also gave rise to the Chiasid, who are the fey vampires. There's bits in the lore about how Lysombra many centuries ago experimented with mysterious blood things. It's always It always comes back to the blood magic and transformed into eight-foot-tall, blue-skinned, completely featureless, black-eyed vampires who had fairy powers. But not um, troll-based ones, despite being tall. No, no, no. Well, and they also kind of changed it in uh, 20th edition. Now they're not all, like, porcelain blue-skinned, but now they have, like, weird fingers and other things. Other signs of fey. The Chiasid have shown up in a good half-dozen books, and every time they show up, they have a different, <laughs> yeah. different backstory, different group of powers, they are a a weird group and they've never been like prominent in vampire but no yeah no no uh you mentioned earlier that there's you know there's a bloodline with like four people that's the key essence. yes and also for a group that's you know supposedly connected to changelings they do a lot of sitting in libraries and reading for just decades at a time which to be fair if i was a vampire i'd sit in a lot of libraries and read a lot yeah. of books i'm Same. not holding that against them but it seems a very static existence. Mm-hmm. 
they also have this discipline called Mythoseria, which one of the, I think it's the second level, they can see all things Fae. So in effect, they can enchant themselves. It doesn't work quite the same way, but for the purposes of interaction between the two splats, they're the ones who would most directly be able to perceive all things chimerical. Mm -hmm. they, they would just be, they'd probably be friendlier about it than the Ravnos or the Smeesi would. But mm -hmm. And there's two clans I think of as very Kith-specific interaction with changelings. So there's the, despite the Kiasid seeming like maybe they should hang out with the Slua, the books <laughs> talk about how the Nosferatu would hang out with the Slua. Just one big happy information network family. Yeah, they're like Slua if the Slua, you know, not not nearly as pretty and hot as Slua. and um, <laughs> More teeth than the Slua. Or less, depending on... Well, they have at least two. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. But yeah, the, the Nosferatu, those are, um, you know, Nosferatu. If you if you Google image search Nosferatu, they're the the super ugly vampires. They cannot they mm -hmm. cannot have a appearance score higher than zero unless they spend a lot of points on a one specific background that lets you raise it all the way up to one appearance point. Mm -hmm. They're they're the speaking of that masquerade thing. Seeing their face is generally a masquerade violation. Yeah. Yes, but they all have the obfuscation power yeah. uh, that lets them change the way that they look to others. There's also some tilt at the Nosferatu being sort of, sometimes they're presented as more monstrous than other vampires, but then there are other writers who take them in the direction of, oh, they're surprisingly cool to be around. Mm -hmm. So having tea with a Slua is not out of character necessarily for them. I don't know if they drink the tea, but yes. <laughs> Having tea is different than drinking tea. Yeah. So there's a there's a nice little three-way crossover with the Slua, the Nosferatu, and the Bonars from mm -hmm. Werewolf. They're all the kind of lowest group socially in the social hierarchy. They're all information brokers, and they all are most likely to have contacts with another group of supernaturals. So, Although the Bonars also would be crossover somewhat with another vampire clan, which also, I think, corresponds with a kith, although it's not spelled out as much in the books, with the Bruja, which mm -hmm. are not witches. They're like the... Well, they were the punks in the goth punk world of darkness, at least originally, but they're also much more like active on the streets or interacting with mortals that the human society doesn't interact with as much or doesn't the bruja are the rabble rousers and the yeah. rebels of the camarilla which to me means they they go in the same circles that redcaps go in a lot of so speaking of kith connections something that we talked about in our wraith crossover episode i believe are the giovanni who are the necromancer vampires so in terms of a slua connection if your slua is the type to talk to ghosts the Giovanni are more the type to bind, command, and occasionally eat ghosts. Or do other things to them, yeah. Or that. Yeah, the Giovanni are a real weird group. They have some interesting proclivities. I don't recommend <laughs> pressure. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. Um, they like to trap ghosts and use ghosts for their own ends because most other vampire groups, despite being undead themselves have no way to interact with or influence ghosts so if you are a giovanni and you can 
grab a wraith's fetter and you can make that wraith do favors for you or you know be your thrall because if they don't then you'll destroy their wedding ring and they will no longer have a tie to the yeah. living living world or whatever then you have a most other vampire proof spy assassin monster in your pocket so the giovanni are, are not friends of wraiths so if you want to do a crossover you could have a either a wraith who's being manipulated that way or a friend of the wraith who's another wraith who's a friend of that other wraith being manipulated that way going to your slew and being like please help yeah the other clans i don't know i think we, we have covered most of them but when i think about some of the others like gangrel yeah it's probably a book that said they're like puka and then everyone went what are you talking about because they're animal shapeshifters but they're not like puka very much at all no no there 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 are literally hundreds of other permutations on on the kindred idea yeah and if there's like every one of these clans there's, there's another like one or two obscure bloodlines that also are kind of like that but Sure. We should at least lastly mention the Magar, who are a should fairly we? recent addition. Should we? Well, just because people are going to come across them. So the the Magar, when I run a campaign, if they show up, uh, the Magar are what happens when a Kithane or a Kinane or Thalane, I suppose, or what have you, when a, a changeling or a fey-blooded gets embraced. They have Mithraceria, just like the aforementioned Chiasid. Uh They look super weird, and it can be anything from, you know, hey, you still have your she-good looks to, you know, you look like a, a dog man because you were a puka who was embraced and turned into a vampire. But, uh, yeah. I feel like they kind of muddied the waters about around the Chiasid when they introduced them, like... Because at this point, aren't the Kiasid supposed to be Magar gone right or something? <laughs> like... Well, the Magar were introduced in V20. Yeah. So they got a two-page write-up in a book, basically. They also got retconned into Dark Ages. Well, no, no, no. They got retconned into V20 Dark Ages. Yeah, no, that's, yes, that's what I mean. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the whole Dark Ages vampire thing. There was a vampire of the Dark Ages, and then there was a Dark Ages vampire. And then there was Vampire of the Dark Ages 20th Anniversary Edition. And these are different games. Different editions of sort of the same game-ish. But yeah, I actually uh, like the idea of Magar a lot better than I like the idea of Kiasid. Hmm. Because it, it kind of allows for more tragic characters. If you're a Kiasid, you're just... This is just who you are. But if you're you're a Magar, occasionally you'll you'll drink the blood of an Enchanted or a whatever a, a kithane and then you'll you'll become enchanted yourself and hey wait a minute didn't you used to be a knight didn't you used yeah. to have all this all these friends didn't didn't that used to be your life i have the book but i haven't really i haven't read that section uh, are they like a distinct bloodline like or are there like ventru magar and toreador magar and so no, they are absolutely not a distinct bloodline. They are accidents, each and every one of them. Mm -hmm. It's what happens when a Ventru or a Gangrel or a Nosferatu embraces someone with fey blood or someone who is themselves a changeling. So they're fetish. Could they be a changeling who's gone through the forgetting or not, like didn't know they were a changeling when they were embraced? 
that is shockingly not covered <laughs> in their two-page write-up. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the majority of times for most changelings is they don't know they're changelings. So that gets kind of... <laughs> but yeah, so so they get they get two of the three disciplines that their sire's clan normally has and also this weird Kiasid discipline that... Yeah, they're, they're an odd group and a sad group and I feel real bad for them because... They don't really fit in anywhere. But also, I like the idea of, you know, you are a group of she knights and one of your retinue has gone missing and you track them down and they are being held hostage by this weird vampire who drinks blood from them every night to become enchanted and remember that they too were once a she knight. That brings in another way to cross over. Reminds me of drinking blood the other way. Um, if someone who's not a vampire drinks vampire blood, mm-hmm. a few things happen. One is that can make them start liking that vampire more in a bad way. But another is they can get some minor superpowers from it. Kind of some of the vampire powers, just a lesser degree. And canonically, that also gives some banality to the, to the change if a changeling does it. And I did play a red cap once that just started eating vampires and then just tried to up how much glamour he could bring in to counteract the banality but well speaking of red caps aside from all of the clans and bloodlines something that is worth thinking about so there's vampires and what they know about changelings and how they perceive them but then what do changelings know about vampires because vampires have this masquerade they're invested in not having anyone including Mm -hmm. changelings know much about them I liked the second edition take where basically changelings are like, oh yeah, vampires are red caps gone wild. No, no. They are red caps gone remarkably tame. <laughs> they, no, they, no, think about it. Red caps can, can go out there and they can do anything. They can, be a re- they can be a red cap opera singer. They can be a red cap garbage man. They can be a red cap IT guy, whatever. But vampires... They can only be vampires. They have to live at night. They have to drink blood. Yeah. They are. They have become. They are red caps who have become static. I think their... that's a very particular vector of tame. But I'll, I'll roll with. <laughs> I, I I always objected on on the grounds that lots. Of, I like red caps with flat teeth, so they can't be vampires. Oh, other connections we had discussed prior to this recording about the emotional vampirism that changelings engage in compared to all your changelings are vampires yes not of the sanguinary type just of the dreams and emotions type except for some bogeys and the occasional red cap but yes you know what two consenting fae get up to in the privacy of their own home none of my business okay that's the that's the some of the satyrs now okay but but yes all all of the changelings in the world they live off of the glamour produced by the emotions of humanity. They're eating something that humanity produces. They're emotional vampires. Kind of. The musing things kind of... It's like saying we're like people who drink dairy are cow vampires. Well, I'm lactose intolerant, so I can't say. But, <laughs> but it's an interesting kind of thing to explore. I mean, just in terms of that kind of categorization because there are vampires who are like i'm not going to eat human blood i'm going to survive off of animals and blood bank donations or whatever and you know not all vampires see themselves as i am a predator 
so it's well, that's because they're parasites, not predators. But anyway, <laughs> yes, but that's that's my point is that within the society of vampires, within the society of changelings, yep. different groups are going to have different ways of justifying to themselves what they're mm-hmm. doing to survive, much as humans do in many cases. Yeah, yeah, anybody can justify anything if put under enough pressure. I mean, changelings, at least as presented, and we can talk if this is unreliable, I don't know if it's unreliable narrator or just, like, a lot of changelings do have a beneficial place in humans that they muse, but... Or at least they think they do. Yeah, but that's the question, do they or not? But that's also getting to where does glamour come from, and what... Some changeling books suggest, like, if all the changelings went away, there'd be a lot less creative humans, so... This is all kind of part of why I think it's important to thoroughly roleplay out both hunts and epiphanies. Maybe not yep. every single one, but often enough that players get a handle on the thoughts and feelings that underlie those actions. That's a connection that Changeling and Vampire and Wraith and Demon, but not all the World of Darkness games have that kind of interaction, but Changeling and Vampire do have it pretty strongly where it's your relationship to humanity is an important part of the game that a lot of people just ignore. And I think that does disservice to both games. I don't think it's something that needs to be done every time. Not every time. No. Every time a vampire goes out to hunt or, you know, feed from their herd, which is a background that they can have, just like changeling can have dreamers. I don't think that needs to be role played out in great detail every time. No. Just like, I don't think every time a a changeling says, I'm going to go, you know, use my dreamers needs to be played out but i think it's something that every character needs to do at least occasionally yeah Yeah. just just like i think both games actually benefit a lot from outside of the whole feeding aspect just both for different very different reasons but vampires and changelings have a lot of trouble just living their day-to-day lives like how do you get money they both have trouble with that okay you need a place to sleep at night how do you deal with that the everything that comes around with it are you do you own it do you hide somewhere and sleep do you use your magical mental manipulation powers to make someone you know forget yeah. that they have a closet over here in the corner that you sleep in all day which has its own costs and consequences like it's all right not that you need to have ever like that's most of the game but i think it should be like i don't know a third of your game <laughs> Or something like that. Yes, there there should absolutely be a, a mundane details section of the game where where yeah. you keep track of how how do you how you so okay so you have resources three from what how do you yeah, in both games that? yeah yeah exactly because yeah yeah vampires are like well you're not aging you might be pretty old actually even though you look young and uh, you can't go out in the daytime changelings have the whole banality problem and sometimes they have to go deal with the changeling world when they're well both of them have to deal with the their own world kind of thing right they'll have that hidden world that they have to deal with one more so yeah. than the other aside from the hierarchical stuff of the justicars the princes etc in the camarilla they also have six traditions that kind of govern i guess they're more like guidelines than laws but the prin- <laughs> they're like the sheet really well and that's that's the point that i'm leading to yeah so it's these guiding principles that in theory vampires are like oh yeah those are good ideas but then in practice they bend them maybe more often than not some are more bendable than others let's say yeah yeah most vampire games i've played in that are not sabbat which have their own rules like most camarilla vampire games i've played in actually kind of stick to them 
reasonably closely in least in terms of like if you get caught well a lot of them too are are geared around self-preservation or preservation of the community so even something like you are responsible for the vampire that you create until they are proved to be an accepted member of the community or whatever that's so that vampire that fledgling doesn't go out and eat somebody and leave them in a dumpster for the rest yeah. of the world to find yeah and and there's kind of this I don't know how official it is or if it's just a thing that show up in LARPs or if it's like a part of the thing where like at some point sort of in the equivalent of your fosterage or when you come like to be accepted in the vampire society, you're supposed to like recite the traditions to um, right. the prince. Never list the seventh one of don't get caught. That's not <laughs> usually funny. That's always a, a good plan. Uh, I've been in LARPs where the player thought that's one of the traditions. Like legit. Oh, wow. Okay, so they are learning everything through this uh, this one well, game. Okay, their next character didn't make that dis- mistake in the next session. So yeah, uh, there are six traditions in Camarilla society. There's the aforementioned masquerade, where you don't tell anybody about Vampire Club. There is the tradition of domain, where you respect uh, another person's territory. There's the tradition of hospitality where if you go to visit somebody else's territory, you present yourself and say, hey, I don't want you guys to freak out because there's another vampire in town. I'm here. I'm not going to steal your herd, your people. I'm not going to eat people without permission. Just passing through. Or, hey, I've decided to move from, you know, Texas up to Ottawa. Can I live here, please? Josh is now Prince of Ottawa. (laughs) Yes. That's how you do it. Uh, There's progeny where you won't embrace somebody unless you have permission from those above you in the hierarchy. There is accounting, which is the fosterage that you mentioned earlier, where your actions reflect on your sire, the person who embraced you, until you've proven that you can be a respected and trusted member of kindred society. And finally, destruction, which is the right to kill other kindred other vampires is reserved for the people in charge if you're just a low newly embraced person you don't get to decide that even though that guy's a jerk he's a vampire you can't just go kill him yeah three of them are almost identical to the rights of the sheep so but phrased differently it's funny how that works out <laughs> yeah they're not rights they are the traditions and rules as opposed to sheets are rephrased as the rights of things so different way of thinking about it but different ethical philosophy i mean it's it's all point of view mm-hmm. yeah the uh, the ashit has its own little version of the masquerade the right to ignorance right that's to protect us from banality so humanity doesn't need to know that we're here it's for their yeah. good well it's also kind of a uh, keep away hunters both of them have that as a... yeah because they're probably the two groups that were were most impacted by like the Inquisition, yeah. etc. Most of the World of Darkness games that have, at least the ones that have a society with rules, actually have that rule in there somewhere. Because yeah. even though like there's the mists, with cha- like vampires don't have anything like the mists. Most of the other games have something that makes it a bit more sense even without like to hide things from humanity. But that would only go so far and like you could just... I don't know, publish a book, go on television talking about it. Like that would, that'd be bad. So Yeah, but then the venture would say, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Disregard. Yeah. Well, they need the rules for that, right? It's not just 
there was no rules against it. At the very least, there's a self-preservation instinct at work. Yeah. So. Yeah. But it's a point of reference that if a changeling did meet a vampire and find out about these traditions, then it would be like, oh, okay, I kind of understand where you're coming from yeah. on this. Please don't eat me. And that, that rule in particular, both games present it as ambiguous to how it applies to people who aren't, to things that aren't mortals. Mm. So you might be violating that by talking I to each other. I was just about to ask how many, how many of these traditions and rites apply to other supernaturals it is ambiguous and there is no clear rulings from the society that is fantastic because it means that in in chig's game yeah if you tell someone that you're a vampire even if they told you last you know five minutes before then that they're a a troll it doesn't matter you still breach the masquerade we're gonna kill you yeah well it's not just in chig's game in chig's city or in this city it might be in this county or duchy or barony whatever might have these rules applied this way and then you go somewhere else and they think about it differently or some new person ends up in charge and interprets it differently that's the fun of the game (laughs) yeah (laughs) creative rule interpretation that's the real game this is part of why people you know when people talk about oh the sabbat and the shadow court alignment the thing that's much more interesting to me is like an unseely anarch alignment like Changelings who are just so over this whole nobility system. And yep. not that there can't be unsealing nobility as well. But... Well, there's also sealy anti nobility. <laughs> yeah, that's, for sure. that's a whole other canon. Commoners and anarchs. Upstart yeah. commoners and world weary anarchs united. Mm-hmm. The only thing they have to lose are their chains. It's true. They're cold iron chains. Yeah, I was, I was going to reference before. Yeah. It actually presents similar when we were talking before about Diablery drinking killing drinking eating other vampires that actually despite it being a different thing it is presented as very similar to killing look with cold iron in changeling well because you don't just eat grandpa's blood you also eat his soul (laughs) yeah so there's examples of like sanctioned in concordia killing with cold iron is like an execution because this is a dante who keeps reincarnating or something but right but vampires again are not spiritual beings they yeah. they don't they don't die and come back they just that's it they're they're there forever so they don't have to worry about the cycle of reincarnation the transmigration of souls or anything like that that the other yeah. uh inhabitants of the world of darkness oh i'm not saying i'm not saying they're exactly the same but the way they're treated in the two societies ah gotcha, gotcha. has some similarities mm. they're like serious crimes that are sometimes actually officially condoned but not often kind of it's like the worst punishment okay was there anything else we wanted to talk on this well on the subject of just encounters between the groups so i know we've previously talked about enchanting vampires and we talked about the multipliers and everything and the banality levels i think actually to the point that jig made about the banality of vampires like I think people, when they say, oh, you should be able to muse a vampire, vampires should have low banality, etc. It's like, yeah, that that Toreador may be an artist, but that Toreador has been sick of living for hundreds and hundreds yeah. of years. But when it comes to crossover and banality, and this is not just a change, this comes up a lot with Mage too. C20 has this very handy chart of what it means to be immortal at different banality leavings and sort of Mm-hmm. A brief discussion of their personality and i like to think of it that way 
And you would end up with, just like in the technocracy, there'd be a lot of high banality people and not a lot of low banality people. In vampire society, especially once you've been around a while as a vampire, you're typically going to be high banality. Yeah. I could definitely think of exceptions that would make sense. You could have a 200-year-old Toreador that actually is a dreamer, but they're very rare among Toreadors. Sure. Certainly not every vampire is a dreamer in the same way yeah. that not every mortal is a dreamer. But it also points to how in a lot of vampire stories, one of like the key character traits yeah. as as the vampire gets older is desperately searching for anything to alleviate the boredom of being mm-hmm. immortal. Right. They have to fight against that ennui of existence. Yeah. yeah. There, there was the occasional thing in Vampire the Masquerade officially. I don't think it's, I don't know if it's in V20, but like some of the revised stuff as earlier was like, it's talking about how vampires are completely incapable of experiencing true emotions and things like that and i'm like that turned me off that game so much like and that would be like a higher banality thing i think but like you're literally dead inside kind of figuratively dead inside but that might be high banality but i don't think that makes for a fun game to roleplay either so no and we, we did point out in the Book of Lost Dreams episode how there is a lower difficulty for using Malkavians. Still not a great idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely don't ravage them. No. Any, any, any vampire, the least dangerous vampire is still very dangerous. Yep. So That's their whole point. Yeah. Maybe you could win a fight against them. You don't want to no. get into that. Especially if they bite you. So which vampire clan would be the best one to rhapsodize? Samisi. Mm. I was thinking Ravnos. Really? Because what would the creation be if they used chemistry? Mm. I just think Samisi because I want the satisfaction of the changeling like burning down their flesh church or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I think the term you're looking for here is barbecue. <laughs> oh, you you have made a the Samisi you've now destroyed forever their ability to feel any creative impulse. I just don't want to torture anymore. Well, they, they could still do it. They're just their heart would never be in it, and it wouldn't be very inspired. Right, yeah, and the other yeah. Samisi would right, make fun just, of their they're torture. They're just making the same giant war ghoul that they made yeah. <laughs> thirty years ago again and again and again. Yeah, and everyone, all the other Samisi are like, oh, he just, he just has not, his heart's not in it. You can tell it's just not. You know, he used to be literally. He used to be just a master. Oh, here comes Vladislav. Yep. So now you have this like, oh, there, there'd be a weird enemy flaw. You're like, okay, the Samisi hates you because like you're playing like an autumn whatever fae, right? And three lifetimes ago, you rhapsodized the Samisi who now just hunts you every lifetime. I'd, I'd like to officially enter into the record that for patron content I am now going to make Vladislav the sad rhapsodized Samisi. <laughs> please do. As a patron of the podcast, please do. <laughs> yes. I did want to also touch on so from the vampire side, I don't know that we need to get into like disciplines and stuff, but from the changeling side, a few handy tools to have in any changeling's pocket. Primal 2 lets you set things on fire summer five lets you set things on fire pyretics two and four i think lets you set things on fire these are useful things to have when confronted with a vampire spring five if you really no that wouldn't work vampires i 
would it? Because that I'm wondering what would, because I actually think, and, and this may be, this is the last thing that I want to get into for this discussion is story hooks, but spring five, turning a vampire back into a human for a scene. I would allow that for the story possibilities alone. Mechanics be damned. You know, I like that because that's the whole thing too with vampires, like the whole redemption and trying to become human again. Cause yeah. But there's also speaking of the uh, spring five thing, the Kiasid actually also in one of the versions of their discipline, Mythoseria, the ultimate level of it is called the grandest trick where you can become human for a day. But in order to do it, you have to drain all the blood of a human. And I would, I almost kind of want to make it available to not just like the, the oldest Kiasid to again, create that storyline. Like what if there's some ritual vampires can do to become human for a day? And yeah, I like that spring five act or whatever. Yeah. Of like, yeah, you're human for a bit and you can't make it again for another moon rise and yeah incentive to keep that changeling around and alive again mm-hmm. just in case some other story ideas might be overlap between a changeling's dreamers and a vampire's herd mm-hmm. maybe a joint thalian sabbat wild hunt kind of extravaganza Maybe a returning she had some kind of ancient pact formed with a vampire elder that they're now cashing in 300 years later, or I guess 600 years later. I mean, an obvious one is uh, if you're changing the type to go hook up at a club, that could go very badly. Yes. The general rule of thumb for drinking fey blood from a vampire perspective is bad idea. Yeah, it's enchantment, but also some almost bedlam like effects on top of that so yeah only the not fun part it's a bad trip you guys yeah yep i do want to share one snippet from the revised clan book toreador for vampire so as with many of the splat books there are the stereotypes that a you know the narrator of the clan book has about the different groups in the world of darkness anyway in this case they're talking about the fairies and it says These things seem to be kind of like soul parasites on human beings. They hate all of our kind, which is a damn shame because they seem drawn to civilization like moths to fire. Sound like anyone you know? I heard a pretty amusing story about a catfight between one of our clan and some fey noble back in the court of the Sun King. Both of them wanted to be a girl with the most cake for some painter who saw the vampire by night and the fey chick by day. It ended with a confrontation like every good story. The fairy got drained dry as earth. The Toreador went absolutely bugshit crazy, forever. The artist never painted again. That's how things tend to work out with the Fae. Pretty stories, ugly endings. And I think that just sums it all up in like yep. one little package. <laughs> so Yeah, that, that covers it. Yeah. Yep. If you're running a changeling game and your players are way too knowledgeable about vampire <laughs> and it's like coming in, one thing I I did once was introduce a chimerical vampire who was causing problems and people didn't know it was a chimerical vampire so Hmm. that if it's like if it's a kind of game where the players are like dealing with problems in their area and like the local nobilities having them go deal with it or whatever reason they're going to try help their dreamers or something's draining them and you can make a chimera actually be a folklore vampire quite easily and then that can be a neat little Mm -hmm. thing that sounds super fun. <laughs> yeah. And it works best if the players 
are doing a bit too much of the wrong kind of metagaming of bleeding through mm-hmm. oh expecting like kindred society honestly i think it'd be it would be best if they tracked down kindred society and you know got in trouble from both sides because hey how did you how did you hear that there were vampires around here for, yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a masquerade breach <laughs> and meanwhile it's just yeah, the chimera could just be nightmares based on culture of vampires, right? Right, it's just, you know, somebody, some kid stayed up too late and watched, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah, I definitely gave him a cape. Obviously. No capes. I think it's worth asking how necessary crossover is to, like, if you are playing, or if you are running a changeling game and you're thinking about including vampires, it's like, okay, first of all, does this chronicle need them? Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't need them and you just want them, that's fine. But I think it's important yeah. to acknowledge that because that will inform the choices you make about how to integrate them because you'll get different kinds of stories suited to one kind of game or another. Yeah, any of the World of Darkness games can be some kind of at least antagonistic crossover with Changeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd have to have a very long chronicle for bringing in all of them and it not being just too much. So... Yeah. And you could get by with not, none of it, too. Yeah. Like, like you can just do stri- strictly by changeling, that's fine. Crossover is never really necessary unless you're planning on running a crossover game from the start. Yeah. And we're talking about crossover, there's, there's kind of different meanings here. I think mage PCs with changeling PCs can work well. Some of the other games, in theory, could work well. I'm not saying it's impossible, but a, a vampire PC with changeling PCs that's funny you should mention that because that is the setup for what is i guess half canonically the only vampire changeling crossover book that we ever got which was a novel pomegranates full and fine published in Mm -hmm. december 1995 by uh what's his name don brassingthwaite or whatever we haven't read it or chig has read it but (laughs) it is definitely a book that exists and is on my shelf and it's set in toronto it is. And it also has Nefandi in it, because why stop at two splats? So Pomegranates is a very first edition book. So none of the groups have really been fleshed out. There's no subtlety to anything. It's all very, hi, I am a knocker, and <laughs> I am into BDSM, because reasons. Because White Wolf. Yes, exactly. I don't think I've ever read anything else by Don Bassingwaite. Apparently he's written quite a few books for, uh, looks like Forgotten Realms and Eberron and D&D tie-in novels. I don't believe I've ever read anything else by him. And this, as far as I'm aware, this may be his very first book ever written. I'm not trying to tear him down or anything, but it is, it is not a great book. I'll put it, it, it that's my, my, my real quick mm. review. If you want to read it, more power to you track down your track yourself down a copy make your own judgment on it is this badly written in your mind and a bad setting example or is it um it's not great yeah (laughs) like i said it may be the guy's first novel he ever wrote i don't want to don't want to tear him down or anything but uh no it's it's you know it's it's not missing a lot of commas or anything it's it's technically well written but it's well edited okay sure but uh the story itself it's very like i said there's no subtext there's no it's all 
right there on the page. So it's very simple, but it's not very good. It's not a thing you could be like, this is what happened in your setting and use it as like a no backstory. I, I would, I would, but, but again, I feel the same way about the, uh, the, the toy box novels. I think the dialogue in those is horrible. I think that the characterization in those is remarkably poor and shallow. And and I don't know if this is because when they were written, they didn't have anything deeper to go by than what is in the core book. And everything in all of the World of Darkness first edition core books is very surface level. Partly by necessity. Because that's what a core book is for. I, I think the gaming books that come from not that Pomegranate's Full of Fun has a gaming book with it like the that trilogy did. But like those were stronger, I guess. So I guess my question is if they had done that like they did with the Immortalized trilogy, would it have potentially been a good book as a changeling supplement separate from the novel in your mind? Mm, that is a that is an interesting question. I think the answer is no, because I don't think that Pomegranates adds anything new to the setting aside from this one very specific story. Mm. It's more of a vampire novel with a changeling protagonist than the other way around. It very much is. Which, again, makes sense. Vampire was the bigger game of the two. And the more established game. Like, 1990, that was when Changeling came out. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to give one charitable comment to the novel. (laughs) Please Um, do. Which I think is the same comment that I would give to, like, the Immortalized trilogy, which is... In terms of its usefulness to a reader now, I think what it does do, because as much as there is no subtext sometimes, there is also mixed with that, in both cases, I think, narration of how each group perceives the other that's not boiled down to like, oh, this must be your art of primal or your discipline of obfuscate. So even if that helps a reader conceptualize, oh, I have to think of this in more nuanced characterized terms rather than just the dots on the sheet even if they don't do it in the same way that it's done in the novel i think that's an important cognitive step to take as a player but i agree i agree with you that's my charitable comment (laughs) do you know what there were so many books like it on the shelf in barnes and noble at the time I think there was much worse out there. There was also much better. <laughs> oh, but I just have one question. Does it reference like Persephone or anything like that with the name? Or is it just... I don't think no, so. Not that I recall. I mean, like obliquely, yeah. you know. Okay. I think it does reference the box, actually, though. When you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember seeing that in there. So. Oh, okay. So we so what we really needed was a Changeling Wraith crossover book. <laughs> yeah, well. For all your sexy slua action. So if you, if you're if you're a completionist, that exists. You can get yes. that along with your Kithbook trolls and your few other things. Dear listeners, is why I have a copy because I am a completionist. Hey. Yeah. The bottom line, though, when I think about sort of the thematic synergies between the two games, because it is, it is tough in a broad sense. Like you could find this specific changeling from this Kith would work well with a vampire from this specific clan. But I think what unites them overall is that they strike me as the two groups who are most concerned with the the doings of mortals in very different Mm -hmm. ways, but they need mortal connections much more than like werewolves or mages or even wraiths, maybe. So I think that's a, a starting point to explore from. Yeah.
So yeah. Is there anything, Chig, that you want to shout out that you're worked on or doing or anything like that? Uh, well, like I said previously, I am a uh, co-host of Darker Days Radio. Uh, that is a podcast uh, covering the world and chronicles of darkness, as well as other various darker-themed uh, role-playing games. Uh, we also cover Warhammer and its uh, role-playing games. If you're interested in any of that, you can find us online at darker-days.org. So yeah, give us a listen. Uh, we've put out some books on Storyteller's Vault. I've edited the majority of those. Mm -hmm. uh, some good stuff out there. Links will be provided in the show notes. Yeah, and Darker Days Radio is the other podcast that sometimes has changeling content that's still around. I try, but uh, I'm the only I'm the only one holding that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but there was a few others that have kind of seemed to have stopped, but. So yeah, that's that's it. Um, if listeners want to find me, why? Uh, <laughs> um, you can find me on uh, Mastodon. I'm Sandsugar at dice.camp. Mm -hmm. uh, again, the, uh, the the podcast is way more interesting than me. I know. I know one place to find you is also is on our Discord, changing hey. the podcast at discord.me/ctp. You can also find us at changelingpod at dice.camp. Same uh, Mastodon server as Jig there. You can go to our website, changelingthepodcast.com. Send us an email, podcast at changelingthepodcast.com. And we do have a Facebook group, Facebook page, sorry, uh, for Changeling the Podcast. Uh, so once again, I'm Josh. I continue to be Puka. I am always J. Just remember, if the vampire drains you, at least they'll go crazy. Blood for the blood god, glamour for the glamourpotamus. Within the pantheon of quasi-cosmic beings that populate the world of darkness, the Glamourbottomus is among the less vindictive ones, but has still been known to utterly devour those it deems offenses to the sensibilities of the dreaming. Its last known meal was a red-cap bassist in a Dave Matthews cover band. This should not, however, be taken as a sign of the dreaming's attitude towards all 90s alternative rock, some of which can be cringingly instructive to the world of darkness's metaphysical particulars. After all, in connection with this episode's themes, we learned from one Chicago outfit in 1995 that the world is a vampire, sent to Dreyayain, and what could be a more emo way to conceive of banality? If you think of one, please feel free to reach out to us on our social media links provided in the show notes, or leave us a review on the podcast listening platform of your greatest convenience. Getting the word out about our show helps motivate us to continue bringing Changeling of the Dreaming content to you. Another way to support us is to become a patron at www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast, for which you get perks including a shout-out at the end of each episode like the following superstars, Derek, Dorkadus, Jason Vines, Oreo, Razkaboos, Sanjager, Sija, and Terry Robinson. Thanks as always for your attention, may the Glamourpotamus bless and keep you, and until next time, keep on dreaming. Here come the outtakes. At some point we'll have to do a Demon the Fallen episode. But... Will we? I think so. It's just going to be 45 minutes of me growling, so... You mean Changeling Revised? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it is. it is also like changely written by a vampire fan really is how it, oh yeah it's it's, it's 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 emo goth changeling <laughs> like maybe i'll do an episode on that has that same kind of like you you do that and i'll handle changeling the lost that'll be our okay yeah it's changed oh dark ages fate too yeah Ugh.
Later problems. Come back for Later that problems. <laughs> I mean, if you'd like to have someone come on and tell you why no one should ever buy it or play it, sure, I'd be happy to come back for that. Uh, yeah. I, okay, I don't hate it as much as you. So that's no one does. <laughs> but that's okay. It's, it's my own personal peccadillo. I don't care for it. Yep. I ran it. That was my problem with it. One of my problems with it. But anyway. I got all of them, right? Sorry, I was clicking things. Do you have an Instagram? I think you do. I think that's all. No, we don't have an Instagram. Yet. Yet. If you want to do that one, Puka. Are are you on on Tumblr? Not anymore. Do you TikTok? TikTok (laughs) is a children's dancing app. Is it? If we ever get, if we ever got like, if we could get like a good, some the right filters for TikTok for like chimerical reality though. But then we'd have to hashtag everything with family. <laughs> isn't that like our next episode? <laughs> oh, it is, isn't it? Uh, stay tuned, listeners. <laughs>